0: In 1868, Sojourner Truth, an advocate for abolition, temperance, and civil and women's rights, stood up in front of her audience and said, Children, I have come here like the rest of you, to hear what I have to say. And when I read that, I thought, what a perfect way to start this episode. Hey, I'm Megan Whitmer, and this is the Ordinary Amazing Podcast. If you're familiar with my other podcast, which is Magic, Murder, and Mystery, then thank you so much for joining me over here. And if you're not, I'm still happy to have you, and maybe you should check that one out. This podcast is all about people who weren't afraid to fight back. I know sometimes when we're looking at the world, we think, I'm just one person. I'm not going to be able to make a difference, so what's the point? The Ordinary Amazing celebrates the people who are like, I may not be changing the whole world but I'm going to make a change in my world. I love those stories, and I can't wait to share them with you. And we're kicking it off today with the incredible Sojourner Truth. Sojourner Truth was born Isabella Bomfrey, sometime between 1797 and 1800. She was born into slavery, and she lived with her family, her parents, James and Elizabeth, and 10 to 12 siblings. The entire family was owned by Colonel Johann Hardenberg, He bought them and he kept them together at his estate in rural New York. When he died, his son Charles took over. But then when Charles died in 1806, Isabella was separated from her family and sold to a man named John Neely. Now at this time, like most black New Yorkers, Isabella only spoke Dutch. And this new owner, John Neely and his family, they spoke English. So she had to learn English, which she did, but she still had a Dutch accent. As far as slave owners go, I get the impression that the family that had owned Isabella up until this point was fairly decent, but John Neely was not. He beat Isabella every day. After a couple years, he sold her to a tavern owner who kept her for 18 months before selling her again in 1810, this time to a man named John Dumont. Aside from the physical abuse that she endured, John also raped Isabella repeatedly. And John's wife, in some sort of weird misplaced anger, hated her for it. Isabella is 14. She lived with the Dumonts for 17 years. She was forced to marry an older man, another slave named Thomas, and she had five children. There was James, who died as a child, Diana, who was actually the child of John Dumont, and then the three children that she had with Thomas, Peter, Elizabeth, and Sophia. Isabella was always spiritual. On the Dumont farm, she was mostly isolated from other people, and she found her own ways to worship God. She built a temple of brush in the woods, and this was an African tradition that she may have learned from her mom. She prayed a lot, talking to God and asking Him to take care of her and her children. In 1799, back when Isabella was an infant or just before she was born, New York began the legislation to abolish slavery. They set the date for the currently enslaved people to be emancipated at July Fourth, 1827. John Dumont promised Isabella that he would set her free in 1826, a year before the official emancipation, as long as she would, quote, do well and be faithful. Let's not forget, John Dumont is a physically abusive rapist, so he's clearly the right person to be making declarations about doing well and being faithful. I hope you're all sitting down. I don't want this to be too big of a shock to you, but John DeMont didn't keep that promise. And later, Isabella said that it was God one day that talked to her and told her to walk away. So she took her baby girl, Sophia, and escaped the DeMonts. She had to leave her other children behind because, according to the law, they weren't legally free in the emancipation order until they had served as slaves into their 20s. So I feel like her thinking was, if I take all of my kids with me and then we get caught, the kids could be separated from me and from each other and it's just a much more dangerous situation for them. They'll probably go easy on the baby Sophia and then she was just going to take responsibility for whatever happened to her as an adult. After she escaped, an abolitionist couple named Isaac and Maria Van Wagenen took Isabella and Sophia in. John Dumont tracked them down and tried to get them back and Isaac was like, look, I will buy them from you for the remainder of the year until the emancipation takes effect. And John was like, fine, and he sold her for 20 bucks. So that's where Isabella stayed until the emancipation went into effect and she changed her name to Isabella Van Wagenen. This is when Isabella began practicing Christianity. We're gonna talk a lot about Isabella's faith in God because it plays really prominently in who she becomes. Once the emancipation went into effect, Isabella learned that her five-year-old son Peter had been sold by John Dumont and then illegally sold again to an owner in Alabama. The Van Wagenens helped Isabella take the issue to the New York Supreme Court, where she filed suit against her son's new owner. After a months-long battle, Isabella won that case in 1828 and regained custody of her son. She was the first black woman to go to court against a white man and win. That alone is reason enough to absolutely love this woman, but trust me, we are just getting started. After that, Isabella moved to New York City, where she became a housekeeper for an evangelist preacher named Elijah Pearson. Now, Elijah Pearson was a lot of things. He was a preacher, a businessman, and an oracle. He and another man, Robert Matthews, both claimed to be oracles. They went by Elijah the Tishbite and the prophet Matthias, because of course they did and they formed their own church, which they called the kingdom. I had to stop and look up Tishbite because that's a word I've never heard before. In the Bible, there's a prophet Elijah. Not this prophet, Elijah Pearson, but a different prophet Elijah. And Tishbite referred to the area that the prophet was from. So the guy in the Bible was called Elijah the Tishbite because his name was Elijah and he was from Tishbite. 1830s Elijah the Tishbite was obviously not from Tishbite. He just straight up ripped off the name of the prophet from the Bible, I guess, to give himself some street cred. But to me, it kind of does the exact opposite, right? Like it just makes you look like you're trying to be something you aren't. So let's just take a moment and think about the type of person who is so sure that they're right about everything that they start their own church. And then they call themselves prophet, the prophet Matthias. (laughs) I have decided that I would like to be called Beyonce Megan, Meg, Meg Yonce. We'll workshop it. So in 1834, Elijah gets very sick. He ate some blackberries. He gets really sick. Most of us would be like, okay, I'm sick. I should go to the doctor, but not Elijah. He and Robert were both like, no, we will not allow any medical intervention. We're prophets. All we need is prayer. So Elijah stayed sick vomiting for a few days, and then he died. Because sometimes, my guys, you need medicine. An autopsy was performed, which concluded that Elijah had been poisoned. Robert, I mean, the prophet Matthias, he was accused of murder and theft. And then, this guy, Benjamin Folger, who might but probably doesn't have any relation to the coffee, accused Isabella of murdering Elijah because he said that she had once tried to poison him and his family too. Later on, they decided that this accusation was just a distraction, kind of like how politicians are putting an incredible amount of effort into banning drag queens and TikTok rather than, I don't know, assault rifles, but whatever. Mr. Folger just wanted to shift attention from Robert Matthews, and he thought, I know, I'll accuse this black woman. There's no way a jury will side with her. Isabella Van Wagner looked right at him as she's like, you must not know about me. I mean, how many Beyonce references can I throw into this, you think? (laughs) He obviously hadn't heard that she'd already made history as a black woman in court, which speaks a lot to her character, don't you think? Because if I had been the first black woman to sue a white man in court and win, everybody would know it. I would be insufferable. It would be tattooed on my face. But Isabelle is a better person than I am. She was humble about it. Humble, but confident. She'd been to court. She knew how it worked. She fought the charges, and she won. She's acquitted of theft and murder, and then... She filed a libel suit against Folger. At this point, while researching the story, I actually got teary-eyed over how much I love this woman. She is absolutely not going to take it from anybody. She is doing all of this in like 1834, 27 years before the Civil War. A Black woman, a former slave, she has escaped a murder charge and taken two white men to court and won. Benjamin Folger had to pay her $125, which would be about $4,000 today. On June 1, 1843, Pentecost Sunday, Isabella changed her name to Sojourner Truth. She did this because she felt a calling to go out and preach. She said she chose the name Sojourner because she was to travel up and down the land, showing people their sins and being assigned to them, and then Truth because she was to declare the truth unto the people. She told her friends, the spirit calls me and I must go. So she picked up and left, traveling up the Connecticut River Valley toward Massachusetts with just a pillowcase holding a few of her possessions, preaching about the abolition of slavery. In 1844, she joined the Northampton Association of Education and Industry in Florence, Massachusetts. This organization, founded by abolitionists, supported religious pacifism and women's rights in 1844. I'm just really happy that it existed. This group of 120 people lived on 470 acres and supported itself by running a silk factory, a sawmill, and a grist mill, and raising livestock. It was there that she met William Lloyd Garrison, a white abolitionist best known for his anti slavery newspaper, The Liberator, Frederick Douglass, an abolitionist who had escaped slavery and he became famous for his incredible speaking and his anti slavery writings. I don't know if you know the story of Frederick Douglass. I'll probably cover him on here at some point too. Basically, people who supported slavery were like, slaves aren't smart enough to live independently, you guys, so we're really doing them a favor by owning them. And Frederick Douglass was like, please, hold my mead or whatever they drank back then. I'm smarter than literally all of you. He showed them how ridiculous that idea was, and Northerners just could not believe that this super intelligent, well-spoken guy had once been a slave. He humanized slavery. She also met David Ruggles, an abolitionist who had led more than 600 slaves, including Frederick Douglass, to freedom through the Underground Railroad. Sojourner Truth delivered her first anti-slavery speech that year. Her speeches were particularly impactful because it's not like she was just speaking politically. She had this perspective as a woman and a former slave that gave her this really unique interpretation of the Bible. It's something that came up a lot in her speeches. She used religious references to preach about gender and racial equality. This is not just men versus women or white versus black. This is about human rights. Sojourner never learned to read or write, but she started dictating her memoirs to a friend. And then William Lloyd Garrison privately published her book, The Narrative of Sojourner Truth, a Northern Slave, in 1850. That same year, she bought her own home for $300. In 1851, she attended the Ohio Women's Rights Convention in Akron, Ohio. If you've ever heard of Sojourner Truth, this is probably why. At that convention, Sojourner stood up and delivered her most famous speech, an impromptu address now known as the Ain't I a Woman speech. Here's the thing. There's some controversy about what Sojourner actually said in this speech. There's two published versions of it, and they're very different. The first version, the one I believe is the most accurate, was published by Sojourner's friend, Reverend Marius Robinson, a month after the conference. Reverend Robinson had been in the audience that day and heard the speech firsthand. This first published version of the speech does not even include the phrase, ain't I a woman at all. And neither did any of the newspapers that reported about her speech at the time. 12 years later, Frances Dana Barker Gage, who has entirely too many names, she was one of the organizers of that 1851 Women's Convention, and she published a very different version of Sojourner's speech. In this one, there was a different speech pattern, something more Southern with more of the characteristics of the speaking patterns of Southern slaves. And it included the phrase, ain't I a woman, four times. When you research this, that's the version that you're going to find most often. And there isn't usually even any mention of how it actually might not be what she said. I personally think the first version is probably the most accurate, both because it was published so soon after the speech took place, and because it doesn't really make sense that Sojourner Truth would have a Southern dialect. She was born and raised in New York. She never lived in the South. And remember how she only spoke Dutch until she was like nine? Why would she have the speech pattern of the Southern slaves? Regardless, in both versions of the speech, the overall message is the same. She demands equal rights for women drawing on her own experiences as a laborer as proof that women are as capable as men, and as a former slave, she calls for abolitionism as well. Here's the text of the first published version of her speech. I want to say a few words about this matter. I am a woman's rights. I have as much muscle as any man and can do as much work as any man. I have plowed and reaped and husked and chopped and mowed, and can any man do more than that? I have heard much about the sexes being equal. I can carry as much as any man and can eat as much, too, if I can get it. I am as strong as any man that is now. As for intellect, all I can say is, if a woman have a pint and a man have a court, then why can't she have her little pint full? You need not be afraid to give us our rights for fear that we will take too much, for we can't take more than our pint will hold. Poor men seems to be all in confusion, and they don't know what to do. Why, children, if you have women's rights, give it to her and you will feel better. You will have your own rights, and then they won't be so much trouble. I really love that part. She's just like, listen, just give us our rights and we'll leave you alone. <laughs> we'll all be happy. You have your rights. We'll have our rights. We can all move forward. She goes on to say, I can't read, but I can hear. I have heard the Bible, and I have learned that Eve caused man to sin. Well, if woman upset the world, do give her a chance to set it right side up again. The lady has spoken about Jesus. How he never spurned woman from him. And she was right. When Lazarus died, Mary and Martha came to him with faith and love and besought him to raise their brother. And Jesus wept and Lazarus came forth. And how came Jesus into the world? Through God who created him and the woman who bore him. Man, where was your part? But the women are coming up blessed be God. And a few of the men are coming up with them. But man is in a tight place. The poor slave is on him. Woman is coming on him, he is surely between a hawk and a buzzard. Another important thing to point out about Sojourner Truth's role in the call for women's rights is that there was this big push for women's suffrage and women's rights, but it was really like white women's suffrage, white women's rights. Again, this speech was 1851, before the Civil War, so slavery is still going strong. Having this black woman, this powerful speaker, stand up and talk about equal rights was a reminder but the discussion needed to be about all women, not just white women. Her biographer, Nell Irvin Painter, says it better than I do. Quote, At a time when most Americans thought of slaves as male and women as white, truth embodied a fact that still bears repeating. Among blacks are women. Among the women, there are blacks. From here, Sojourner continued to travel around the world, speaking in front of various audiences. She spoke at a suffragist mob convention in New York City, She met Harriet Beecher Stowe, author of Uncle Tom's Cabin. She spoke to a group in Michigan called Friends of Human Progress. In 1844, she was preaching at a meeting in Massachusetts when a group of wild young men showed up, threatening to burn down the tents, and they refused to leave. Now, at first, Sojourner hid because she's like, I'm the only black person here. If they find me, they're going to attack me first. And then while she crouched there hiding, she realized she couldn't just hide. So she walked up a small hill and started to sing a hymn. This hymn was called It Was Early in the Morning, and it was about the resurrection of Christ. Her voice quieted the rioters and drew them to her. And they encouraged her to keep singing, to preach, and to pray. And so she did for about an hour. And then she was like, look, I'll sing one more song, and then you all need to leave. And they did. In 1853, she spoke at another mob convention. Mob convention, by the way, that just means a woman's rights convention. She was greeted by men who were hissing and groaning at her, and she said, You may hiss as much as you please, but women will get their rights anyway, and you can't stop us neither. Don't forget, God says to honor thy father and thy mother. And then she handed out these tiny little bottles of aloe for all those sick, sick burns. Sojourner Truth remained an activist for the rest of her life. She fought for a more equal society for African Americans and for women, including abolition, voting rights, and property rights. When the Civil War started, she urged men to join the Union Army and organize supplies for black troops. After the war, she worked with the Freedmen's Bureau, helping freed slaves find jobs and build new lives. She was invited to the White House by two different presidents, Abraham Lincoln in 1864 and Ulysses S. Grant in 1870. In the mid-1860s, she wanted to ride in a streetcar, and they were segregated at the time, so this conductor was really violent and tried to block her from riding. So she made sure he was arrested, and then she went to court again and won again. At the end of her life, Sojourner moved to Michigan to live with her children and her grandchildren. She died on November 26, 1883. By this point in her life, she had largely let go of organized religion and leaned more towards spiritualism. Still. Her last words were, Be a follower of Jesus. Nearly 1,000 people attended her service and Frederick Douglass delivered her eulogy. She's buried in Oak Hill Cemetery in Battle Creek, Michigan. A memorial bust of truth sits in Emancipation Hall inside the U.S. Capitol Visitor Center. She's the first African American woman to have a statue inside the Capitol building. In 2014, Smithsonian Magazine included Sojourner Truth in their list of 100 Most Significant Americans of all time. And it all started when she was born into slavery in rural New York. I could not love her more. Isn't that the best story? Thank you all so much for listening to this very first episode of The Ordinary Amazing Podcast. I'd love for you to follow along wherever you listen to podcasts and you can check the show notes for the sources for this episode, as well as the link to our email and our Instagram account. And then join me here again next week for an all new story about another person who wasn't afraid to fight back.